So I'm not sure, you probably have a time in your life like this where uh, things happened and in the moment they seemed random to you. And then, uh, or put it this way, where, where you did something uh, that maybe made somebody mad. Uh, so I've done this once or twice in my life, very rarely. <clears throat> and it happened a couple of years after college. And Christine and I were still living in Wilmington at the time. And one of my college roommates had moved to the Raleigh area. And it was his wedding weekend. And so Friday afternoon, Friday at some point, we drove up. I dropped Christina off at her house. And I went to hang out with my friend that was getting married and all the other groomsmen as well. And we were, I don't know what we did. We hang out for the day. And then about 9.30 Friday night, we get back to his townhome and we're like unpacking our stuff and unloading our stuff. And we bring all our stuff in and I hang up my, uh, my pants and my uh, shirt on like a door handle in the living room. And I don't remember how this happened, but he looks and he sees that I have the wrong pants. And so he looks at them and he says, Dylan, those are the wrong pants. And he sometimes gets a temper, so this is kind of funny. And he gets up, he goes over to my clothes, looks at them. He said, Dylan, you brought the wrong pants. And he chucks them across the room. I mean, he's just mad because I brought the wrong pants to his wedding. Now, yeah, that's sad. In my defense, I had two pair of dark dress pants, so I grabbed the wrong one. And in the moment, I felt bad. But I was also like, bro, it's pants. Like, I'll figure out a way to get the pants. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, and so what ended up happening was, you know, I was like, I could leave, Wednesday, you know, Saturday morning, I could drive back to Wilmington, pick him up and come back. You know, the downside of that is we'd miss all the stuff that we we're supposed to do as the groomsmen. So I called Christina. It's like 10 o'clock at night. You know, it's about a two-hour drive from where we were back to Wilmington. I told her what happened. And so she and her mom drove back to Wilmington, got the pants, came back. So in the middle of the night, they left at like 10, 8, 10 p.m., got back at 2 a.m. So they are, you know, there, right? That's pretty nice of her, right? And so every time I share this story, people are like, that's so amazing. You're so lucky. Your wife is so great. And that's true. But I have, I have yet to have someone ask me, say, Dylan, what, teach me how to be such a great husband that my wife would drive four hours in the middle of the night to get my pants, right? Nobody ever asked me how that happens. But she went, she got him, and so everything was fine. You know, David's episode of throwing the pants, it was all fine, and now I laugh about it, you know, today. Um, but in that moment, I needed somebody to do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. I was in an unfortunate situation, and I needed help. And today, as we continue our story through the book of Ruth, we're going to see Ruth and Naomi is in that same situation. Now, I said last week, uh, Ruth is four chapters. It's really meant to be read all at the same time. And so I know this is like the pastor thing to say. You should come every week and you should listen if you miss. But you will, some of these things won't make sense to you if you do miss or if you don't go back and listen. So I'm going to do, I'm going to give a 60-second recap of what's happening in the book of Ruth, and then we're going to go for it, because there's a lot to get through. And so what we saw last week in Ruth chapter 1, you have Naomi and her husband Elimelech. Uh, they're in Bethlehem, which is in Judah, which is in Israel. There's a famine, and so they decide to leave Israel to go to Moab, one of their bitter, bitter enemies, to try to, you know, survive there. Uh, Elimelech dies, uh, so Naomi's husband dies. She has two sons, they both die. And so she's stuck as a widow and a foreigner with her two daughters-in-law. She hears that, the, that food or that grain, that the harvest is actually coming back in Bethlehem. And so she decides to return to her native country. One of her daughters-in-laws uh, leaves her and turns back to her family. But yet Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, the Moabite, says, I'm going to stick with you no matter what happens. And so Ruth, in an amazing display of courage, says, I'm going to be the widow and the foreigner in your land, and I'm going to help do whatever I can to help support and care for you. And so chapter one of Ruth ends, where they return back to Bethlehem. A lot of the women there are excited to see Naomi, but she's upset. 
She's bitter. Uh, she says, the Lord has treated me bitterly. Uh, she's ashamed of all that's happened. She has nothing to show for the last 10 years of her life, except for a Moabite, right, a foreigner. Uh, and so nothing about the situation is good, but there is the harvest is coming. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Ruth chapter 2. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black one around you. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. We're going to pick up the story. I'm going to start with the end of, verse, of chapter 1. So verse 22 of chapter 1 going into chapter 2. And here's where we are. It says, So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley, har barley harvest. Now verse 1, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. So what's happening here, this is likely around April, you know, according to the modern cal calendar, uh, where this famine that had struck Israel appears to be over, that God has provided for them again. Now, Boaz is introduced here. We're going to learn more about him in just a second. But he is a Naomi of Elimelech, which was, uh, uh, or, yeah, uh, which was Naomi's late husband. So he is a family member of Naomi and, of course, would be Ruth because Ruth married, you know, uh, Elimelech's son. And so he's a family member for them. Now, this is interesting to us. It might seem, well, that's you know, good information, I guess. Uh, for ancient re readers, as we'll see in just a second, when they hear about this man named Boaz, who is a family kin or a family relative, immediately in their minds, they're thinking, oh, he's going to do something about it, or at least he's able to help them in some way. So what is this family member going to do about Naomi and Ruth and their plight? Here's what it says in verse 2. It says, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, so her mother-in-law, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind uh, someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Now, what's happening here, according to Mosaic law and probably other ancient cultures as well, uh, there was there a prescription in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, to care for uh, the widow, the foreigner, and the oppressed or the marginalized. And so there is a prescription of what they were supposed to do, that the harvesters were deliberately supposed to leave grain in the corners or the outside edges of their fields. Or when they were harvesting, if certain grain fell to the ground, they were supposed to leave that so that the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the widow, or the foreigner might come back and be able to at least take something for themselves. Uh, and so that's what's going on here. Now, Ruth, of course, is qualified for this task. Uh, she is a widow and she is a foreigner. Um, but again, this doesn't actually mean that she could count on the goodwill of her community to do this, right? Just because somebody says it, just because it's law, it doesn't mean people are actually going to do it. So although she's legally allowed to do it, she still has to, as she says here, find favor with somebody to actually allow her to gather the grain, especially because she is a Moabite. And so they would have looked unfavorably on her. And so she needs the favor and acceptance. And again, it says that she happened to go into the field of Boaz, which again is from the same clan of her father-in-law and her deceased husband. So here's what it says in verse 4. It says, Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to his harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. And then Boaz asked his servants, who was in charge of the harvesters, 
Whose young woman is this? So he clearly saw someone who he, what, he, couldn't, he didn't recognize. Verse 6, the servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. And so what's happening here, Boaz is the owner of this field, and so he's visiting to see what is going on, and he recognizes a woman who doesn't belong, a woman who he has not seen before. Now, Boaz knows who Naomi is, and by extension, he's going to, he knows uh, Ruth's story as well, but before he is told this is who it is, to, her, to him, is someone he just simply did not um, recognize. And so as we see here, Ruth has been working all day. Now, up until this point, uh, we're supposed to be, especially the early readers would have caught on. There's a lot of things that seem to be happening by chance. And what we're supposed to see here is that this isn't by chance, that God has been working even in the darkness and the sorrow of Ruth and Naomi. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Uh, Number one, uh, Naomi's husband, who is deceased, right, Elimelech, happens to be a relative of Boaz, who also, as we saw in chapter one, was a man of high character, or we saw here, he's a man of of high, sorry, verse one, a man of noble character, which again, if you were here last week, this is happening during the time of the judges when there's not a lot of people of noble character in Israel to go allow, to go around. So we see that happening uh, in Ruth chapter, or sorry, in verse three, when it says she happens uh, to go to Boaz's uh, field, this is a Hebrew idiom here that essentially is the same thing as us, as, as if you and I were to say today, as luck would have it, right? Or look at this coincidence, right? To them, they would have seen, no, it's not just happenstance. It's not just luck. That God is doing something here to provide for Ruth and Naomi. And of course, when she goes to the field, before Boaz even shows up, she isn't turned away, right? Boaz's servants, his workers in the field, actually allowed her to stay and gather grain, which there was no guarantee that that would actually happen. In other words, if you're familiar with the book of Esther, just like the book of Esther, there's a lot of things that happen by happenstance in the book of Ruth, and the author is trying to show us this is not random, that God is doing something in the midst of all that is going on. And this is a good reminder for us as we continue through the book of Ruth, and that is that nothing happens by accident in the kingdom of God. Right? Nothing happens by accident. Nothing is random. Nothing surprises God. Now, of course, uh, this doesn't mean that our actions don't have consequences or that God uh, wants bad things to happen in your life or in my life, but it does mean that he's not surprised by it. And as we're going to see, that he can certainly use it. Again, if you were here last week, uh, Naomi and her family made a, a couple of unfaithful decisions. They leave Israel instead of repenting and asking God to provide. They go to a neighboring, uh, you know, a, a, a clan or a, a tribe that they often fought with. They do a lot of things that maybe, you know, their ancient readers would be like, that wasn't the right thing to do. And yet, God is still in these things and is going to use these things for his good. Nothing happens by accident, right? And again, it's kind of like a a thought experiment. If you've had things in your life that, again, seemed random to you, but when you look back upon it, you're like, oh, this actually was used and actually was going uh, going a direction for a reason. Like, let me give you an example from my life where where things might have seemed random, and then looking back on it, it's like, no, this was actually planned out this way. Uh, When I proposed to my wife, Christina, listen, I'm not Mr. Romantic, like I'm not the the greatest of these things, but I killed the proposal. Like, y'all, like... Maybe all my juices went to that, but it was awesome. So let me give you the cliff notes, okay? Since you asked, let me just give you the cliff notes. Uh, we were in college, and so we were going to go to a nice restaurant. She knew we were, I was going to propose soon, didn't know when. And so obviously, you're in college, you don't have a lot of money. If you're going to a nice restaurant, 
like, it's kind of obvious. And so we were supposed to go on a Wednesday. Uh, and so Tuesday, the day before, I was like, oh, UNCW has a basketball game. It's a home game. I didn't know. Uh, I want to go to that. Let's go Friday instead, right? So she's thinking, well, this can't be it because he wouldn't just be like, last second, I want to watch a bad college basketball team over proposed to me, right? And so we switch it to Friday. We go to this restaurant. As we are leaving, uh, one of her friends calls her, and she's crying. Uh, Christina was on staff uh, at the kids' ministry at a large church that we were going to in college, and they have a really big auditorium. And in the back of the auditorium, so opposite the stage, is like where they would count money, and you'd have to have a key fob to get in there. And some of the staff apparently thought you could get locked in there, which you couldn't. And so she calls her crying, saying, hey, I was cleaning the kids' area. I found a couple bucks and like, the kids' offering, and so I was bringing it, you know, into this offering, into the offering room, and the door locked, and I can't get out, and so Christina, you know, she's like, she has to help, and she's she's like, I'm so sorry, because we're supposed to go to a movie, right? The plan was to go to dinner, and we're going to see a movie, Uh, and so, of course, the church was on the way to the movie theater, so, you know, no surprise, no sweat off my back, and so I was like, that's fine, so long story short, we end up going to the church, we go into the building, she goes into the auditorium, now, from the back, I mean, it's big, but still, from the back of the auditorium, you can see on stage, there's candles, there's a piano, there's an art picture. And she didn't, she's like, I don't know. Somebody needs help. She, just, she thought something else was happening. So she goes into the room. Nobody's in there. And I was like, hey, why don't we, like, see what's on the stage? And so we go up to the stage. And, you know, I play her some songs. We, I had a friend who painted us a picture of one of our favorite Bible verses. And it's up, up on there. And then I proposed. But, of course, my proposal, also, the year before, her birthday was also in January. I gave her a journal. And I said, I'm going to write in this. And I'll give it to you on your birthday the next year. Uh, those of you who are part of New City are somewhat familiar with our journey. And so uh, during that year, she dumped me, you know, the second time. <laughs> but guess who kept writing in that journal? Okay, thank you very much. And so my proposal was the last entry of that journal saying, will you marry me? Okay, there you go. It was great. Now, right? And then I was like, she's excited, and, you know, you got to call your friends or whatever. And so she wanted to call one of her best friends. I was like, why don't we just, like, go by and surprise, go to her apartment and just, you know, tell her what the good news. And, of course, I had already planned a surprise, you know, uh, uh, engagement party. So there's a ton of people there, and it was awesome, right? Now, in the moment, to her, it was just like random thing happening, happening, happening. Look back on it. It's like, oh, this was actually planned. This was actually going somewhere, right? Going somewhere. And this is what we see happening here. This is what the original readers would have seen as they read this. And so I just want to put this for us. You know, it's easy for us to, to read this story and be like, man, it's really at least, I mean, I know Ruth and Naomi have gone through terrible things, but it must be nice that things are working out for them, right? And I would just encourage us this way to think of, well, where has God happened to move for you? You see, so often in our life, we get on to the next thing. God might answer a prayer that we've been praying for a long time, and it's great for a week. And then we're on to the next thing that we don't take time to reflect and see, well, maybe God has done some of this for us as well. And that's what he's doing for Ruth. And so we'll continue the story, picking up in verse 8. Here's what it says next. So in the field, it says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one. But stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When, are you? when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have, feel, have filled. Now here is when Ruth and Boaz meet. I was told a joke about Boaz, and so I got to share it with you guys today. Um, what was Boaz like before he met Ruth? All right, what was he like? Well, he was ruthless. I mean, he was... <laughs> absolutely ruthless. I mean, just, just no Ruth in his life, right? He was ruthless. Thank you. I was so excited for that. So ruthless Boaz meets Ruth. 
right? And he tells her to come and gather from his field. Now, uh, here, again, we miss it a little bit in the English, but Boaz is referring to Ruth in compassionate terms, especially as a foreigner and a Moabite. And what does he do? He invites her to stay and to work and to gather from his field. And so every day she doesn't have to like go from field to field and hopefully find some place to go where she can gather some semblance of food for her and uh, Naomi. So he invites her to stay. He promises protection. And this would be both physical protection and sexual protection. That she's not going to be harmed or abused in any way. And she can also drink from the jars that his men filled. Now, again, to us, that might be like, oh, that's really nice of him. To, to them, this is a radical thing to do. See, in this culture, uh, women typically filled jars for men, and foreigners would have filled jars for locals. And here, he's telling Ruth that the local men who are drawing water for the harvesters, you can drink from their jars. Now, the question is, why? Like, why is he being so kind and compassionate to Ruth? Well, here's what it says next in verse 10. It says, she fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? I mean, she could not have imagined that this day was going to go like this. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. So again, Boaz, when he first sees her, doesn't know who she is. Once he is told who this is, of course, she, he knows exactly who she is. And so after hearing uh, that this is the Moabite who came back, for, came back with Naomi and how she has sacrificed and given so much for it to be with Naomi, uh, Boaz responds in kind. That although Ruth is the lowest person socially on the ladder of the culture of what's going on here, she is left encouraged by Boaz's kindness to her. Now, again, if we were to think in our lives, it's easy for us to read this and be like, well, that's great for her. I wish things like this would happen for me occasionally. Let me just ask you, have you ever been a place in your life where you felt so undeserving of the grace given to you? Like, has that ever happened to you where you actually sat and reflected? Like, God's been kind to me. Like, for me, I think of, uh, there's, I mean, there's so many. I think of, you know, my wife who drives four hours in the middle of the night to get my pants. Or my kids who are health, healthy and Finley, our six-year-old daughter, is like the sweetest little human I've ever met. And Roman, our three-year-old son, he's awesome, right? And so my, I've been blessed with that. Um, I mean, even after my dad died when I was 19, how my church family and friends came around us, it was just, it was amazing. I think of the story of New City Church and planting New City Church and how people have came support us financially and served and loved and done so many things to make this happen. Or the past year with COVID and all the difficulties that has, has sprung to, along, uh, to many of us. And how God has been gracious and kind. There's been so many things in my life when God has been good to me. And so the question for you is the same. And for me is how often do we forget the goodness of God? Again, because we are so focused on the next thing. I mean, sometimes God does amazing things for us, does he not? And then a week later, it's like, that's great, but what about this? 
How often do we forget the goodness of God? And what happens is we read stories like this, like Naomi and Ruth, and we're moved, we're moved by the compassion that God has shown them. But we forget God's, our, God's faithfulness to us in our own journey. I mean, in fact, God is li- literally answering the prayer that wrote by Naomi prayed in, verse, in chapter 1 to uh, Ruth and Orpah, who had stayed with her for all these years, that God would bless them, that God would look after them, that God would care for them, that God is answering this prayer. And as we're going to see, he's going to answer it in ways greater than she even asked, than she even asked. How often do you and I forget the goodness of God in our own lives because we don't take the time to reflect? That is what is happening here. And so let's continue. Uh, verse 14, here's what happens next. So when they, they're in the, their fields, they're harvesting. It's later in the day, verse 14, it says this. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she, she sat behind, beside the harvesters and, off, he, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. So again, this is a significant thing that you have a poor widow foreigner who's not only allowed to come into your field, but you invite to eat with you, right? And not only eat with you, but not even like you, not only you can have some of the meal, but you can actually sit with us. So you can be a part of the workers and everything that is going on here. And not only that, but he offers her roasted grain and vinegar sauce. Now, I don't know, guys. I mean, I don't know if this prescription or description here, but maybe, you know, next time you get in a little argument with your wife or your girl, you might say, hey, baby, let me cook dinner for us tonight. And you bring out some roasted grain and vinegar sauce. Now, maybe, maybe that's not a wise thing to do. But in this culture, it was, a, it was a delicacy and it was a special thing, right? And so he's going above and, beyond, above and beyond. This is not a normal thing. He's inviting her not only to eat, but to eat something she wouldn't normally have, right? Now, again, what we see here is that the Lord of the harvest, here Boaz, who's in charge of the field, is not only offering her food, but he's also serving her. Right here we see the widow and, and the oppressed is being cared for and, and redeemed and loved. Is this not, this is a side note, is this not a picture of our God who takes people who are broken and far from him and says, hey, pull up a chair. You're welcome at my table. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you are welcome here. Now, I do want to say this before we keep going. To be clear here, I know in our culture today, we're very, uh, I don't, I don't, we're very sexualized, romanticized. Um, even my joke about the grain and vinegar sauce. To be clear here, there is actually no hint of romantic atten- intent in the text going on here. This is not Bo- Boaz trying to be nice because he finds her attractive. That is not what's happening here. It's a man of high character who is responding to a woman who has been a woman of high character, and he is caring for her. Right? That's what is happening here. And in fact, uh, Ruth didn't know who he was at the time. So Boaz knows who Ruth is, but Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is or the significance of him. And so to her, she doesn't think this is anybody significant. And of course, their social barriers would have kept them from even thinking these things. You have a wealthy, high-class individual who owns a field, and you have a foreign, uh, poor widow. Like, in neither of their minds would they be thinking anything other than just, you know, caring for someone who is in a difficult situation here. So that's what happens. And then verse 15, it says this. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her, get, uh, uh, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. And so again here, Boaz reminds his men not to harm or to make fun of or to do anything negative to this foreigner, to this widow, to this woman. 
And not only that, he even commands them to intentionally gather grain and leave it on the ground so that she can get it. It's like, do do the work and let her take it and let her harvest it, right? What Boaz is doing here is he is going above and beyond what is even required of him in the Mosaic law. Not only is he leaving stuff for her to be picked up in the corners of his field, but he's protecting her and he's telling his harvesters, you harvest the crop and you leave it on the ground so that she can come and pick it up. And so verse 17, it then says this. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat, out what, uh, she beat out what she gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Now, to put this in maybe terms we understand, Ruth gathered about six gallons of grain, which is about 30 to 50 pounds. I mean, this is, again, to us, what does this mean? This is a lot. So just to put it in maybe context, um, in ancient Babylon, uh, the daily ration for a worker would be one to two pounds of grain. This woman got 30 to 50. I mean, this is six weeks, almost two months worth of food that they can use or they could sell uh, to protect themselves. And then she comes back into town with well more than anything that she could have hoped for and certainly more than Naomi could have hoped for, hoped for when the day began. Right? And let's think about Naomi. Not only is this happening, but if you're in Naomi's shoes, again, we saw she's bitter, she's angry, she is upset, and she says she sends out Ruth to try to find some grain, and she's probably worried. Is anything going to happen to her? Is she going to find favor in a field? Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be able to gather anything that we can eat and even survive like the next three days with? And then she comes home with this. The bitter, what she said in chapter one, uh, Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. And so what we see happening here is this important truth that God is working in our sorrow. Like even times when you and I are going through difficult things and we're upset and we're maybe legitimately frustrated and sad and we might have given up and we might have decided we know how this is going to end. We have no idea what God might be doing. Now, again, this does not mean that everything is going to go the way that you would want. No matter how many good things might end up happening from this story, there is no world in which Naomi is going to say, you know what, I like all these things, and it was worth trading my husband and my two sons for. Right? There is no world where she would not say, I, I, would, I wish my husband was still here. I wish my sons were still here. And so when we talk about God working, it's not about uh, God maybe replacing things we have lost or everything being better than it was before, but he is doing things, even when we might have given up. I mean, Naomi here has all, by all indications, has given up, and yet God is still working. He is preparing something for them so much greater than they could have even imagined or even asked for when they returned back into Bethlehem. Even in her sorrow, God is doing something amazing. And I don't know all the things that you might be walking through this morning and all the things that you might be dealing with in your life, but again, it is so easy for us to just assume that this is it, this is it as we talked about last week. This is how my story is going to end, and we have no idea what God might be doing. Certainly, Ruth and Naomi didn't. And so here's what it says, verse 19, and we'll try to finish the, the, the rest of the text this morning. It says this, so her mother-in-law, this is Naomi, said to her, so she said to Ruth, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? Probably like with a surprise, like how, where did this come from? <laughs> Ruth told her mother-in-law, <clears throat> uh, uh, where, where did you gather where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, 
May the Lord bless him because he, is, he has not abandoned in his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. So again, Ruth comes back. She tells Naomi that she worked in the field of Boaz. Uh, Naomi here blesses him. Now, in the English, it seems to be saying that she's blessing, you know, Boaz for his kindness. In the Hebrew, it's a little bit more ambiguous. It's hard to know if she's blessing God, Yahweh, or blessing Boaz, or it could be that the narrator is intentionally leaving this ambiguous because that, in other words, saying that Naomi is so taken aback and so grateful that she's both blessing Boaz and Yahweh, who at the end of chapter one, she all but cursed. Right? She all but cursed, and yet she is blessing what is happening here. And then, of course, she says that Boaz is a redeemer. Now, here's what's going on here, because, again, the cultural context is so different than what we are used to. Um, you would have what is called a Leverite marriage. And so a Leverite marriage, and this was not just a Israel thing. This is a lot of ancient cultures. Um, they would do this thing because, again, family is all that you have. You've got no retirement plan. You've got no banks, really. You've got no other jobs. And so if something happens to you, your family is who, who is supposed to protect you. And so you would have what is called a Leverite marriage where a childless widow, so typically a woman whose husband dies and they have no kids, um, would often marry the closest relative, typically her husband's brother. Right? She would marry her husband's brother, and what would happen is uh, the brother would marry uh, this widow. Um, they would have children together, so this would allow the widow uh, to be cared for. It would carry on the name of her brother who passed away, or his brother who passed away. Um, this is also important, not just for uh, inheritance sake, uh, not just to have a, a, a kids to protect you in your old age. Um, also, for le le legal reasons, you needed men involved in the process, and so a widow often was ostracized or left to her own. And so you would have this expectation that, again, if a widow dies, and she is childless, and the brother was supposed to step in and care for her and her family. Now, of course, we know here that Boaz is not the brother of Elimelech and is not the brother of uh, Naomi or Ruth's husband who had died, but he is a family member. And so maybe marriage is not what's going to happen here, but at least there's some expectation that maybe he might help us in some way. And so Naomi is connecting to dots, Ruth is connecting to dots, and they have hope. They have hope that something might come from this. And on top of that, we also know, you and I know from reading the story, that Boaz is a man of noble character. So we don't know what's going to happen, but the assumption is he will do something. And so again, Boaz, because he is not the brother of Naomi or Ruth's husband, he's not legally obliged to do anything. But we have hope that this man of noble character might help in some way. And so she hears this, and then she says this in verse 21. <clears throat> says, Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and on the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I just want to say, especially if you here last week, what a difference from the end of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 2. We see real hope here. We see real hope here. Rope, hope here. And so what's happening here is that Ruth would have worked the fields for about six or seven more weeks uh, until the harvest was complete. Uh, they would have had grain. They would have been okay for a while. Uh, we don't know if Ruth and Boaz spoke again during this next six to seven weeks. We have no indication if they did or they didn't. Uh, but Boaz has helped Ruth and Naomi economically. So there's hope there, 
But the question that you and I have, but what about the real, the real crisis of being childless, being a widow, and being not have a, a future that is protected or cared for? Like, what is actually going on there? Now, we're not going to see the answer to that this week, but we do leave here seeing one of the main themes of Ruth kind of, you know, just kind of yelling in our face, and this is this idea of redemption, right? Ruth is all, the book of Ruth is all about redemption. In chapter 2, what do we see? We see Boaz is going above and beyond in his response to Ruth and in in her courage and faithfulness to Naomi. He's going above and beyond in his care and protection for Ruth and Naomi. I mean, we see him give her 30 to 50 pounds of food. Now, and we don't even know how far away this field was from where her and Naomi were staying. And so not only is Ruth, you know, pretty courageous, but she's like someone you probably don't want to mess with, right? I mean, she's carrying 30 to 50, grand, 30 to 50 pounds, maybe a couple miles back home. Right? So she gets that. She gets protection. Uh, she gets continued work for at least the next two months. We see here that there is redemption and there is hope. Now, all that to say, I think I, we, do, we should be clear here that you and I, we are not Ruth. It's kind of like, you know, the old cliche of like when you're, something difficult is happening in your life, it's like that's the, the, you're the David and that's the Goliath. That's not the point of David and Goliath. It's not to say like hard things happen in your life, whatever. But like you're not David. You're not Goliath. You and I, we are not Ruth. However, we are like Ruth, that you and I need help and rescue outside of our control to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so just like Ruth was and Naomi was in a very real sense, so it is for us. Here's what we see happening here in Ruth chapter 2, that we were destined for death, but God gave us We were destined for death, but God gave us life. Just like Ruth and Naomi had no hope, had no idea what was going on, what was going to happen to them, God has provided. Now, we're going to see how he finishes that in the next two chapters, but he has provided something. And the same is true for you and for I. What is the good news of the gospel? That we we had gone our own way, that we have all fallen short, that we are all broken, that none of us have lived lived up to even our own standard of goodness, let alone a perfect and righteous and holy standard of goodness. And what does God do? In the midst of our sin and our shame, he sends Jesus to do for us gladly what you and I could not do for ourselves. That he gave up his life, he gave up everything he's had, so that you and I can experience the grace and mercy of God when we repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus. Not because of what we have done, because of what he has done for us. Just like Ruth and Naomi were destined for death, so are you and I. But God. And his grace and his mercy in our life does for us what we could not do for ourselves. See, here's the thing that we have to remember here as we finish Ruth chapter 2 this morning. That Ruth is not a feel-good story. It's not just like, oh, this is so great. But it should be a reflection of the redemption of God. Right? We see God's character displayed in the book of Ruth, that he responds to Naomi and to Ruth the same way that he responds to you and to me. We were destined for death, but God in his grace, through sending Jesus, gives us life.